Great. Are we on? Good. I'm going to pray as we start. Um, as I was just thinking, a, a good friend of ours who leads a church in Kenya often has this little sort of spiel he goes through as he starts to preach, saying, uh, you know, this is, my, this is the Bible, this is the Word of God. This, um, we pray a prayer that opens our hearts to change. And I want to pray that sort of prayer as we come to the Word of God this morning, that it, it does us good. Uh, it changes us. We don't just hear an interesting talk, but we go away changed people. So I'm, I'm going to pray that sort of prayer just now. Join me um, in some kind of response, if that's what, how you want to pray. Lord, I pray that your word would come this morning to us, and it would do us good. We'd, as we listen to your word, uh, Holy Spirit, would you come and nudge each of us if there's things you want us to attend to, issues that you want us to cooperate with you in our lives. Thank you for for your spirit. Thank you that he comes, he works a heart of flesh in us. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, for your work this morning as we, as we talk together. Amen. Good. I'm Andy. Um, so my wife, Ruth, will be sharing as well in just a moment. Um, we're part of the leadership team. I've been here for more years than I care to um, think of. Um, and we've just come back from sabbatical. So we're feeling good. It's great to be back. Thank you for enabling that sabbatical. Um, I'm, this, as Sandy has already said, this, uh, like these few weeks we're in a series on community, and Steve spoke last week. Who was here last, last week? Most of us here last week. Wasn't it great? Yeah. I think it was one of the clearest talks on Trinity I'd heard, certainly in the time frame he had. He did an amazing job. So if you weren't here, go listen online. I'm not gonna, even going to attempt to recap on that. Um, but it was really good, and we understand that God is a God of community. God in himself is a community. His community is a as a, a relational God, and that the overspill of that into our community is that we understand church as community. Uh, we see this as vital to the heart of the biblical teaching on church. We're going to look at some of that in just a moment. And as Sanjay said, we see small family groups, extended family groups, as a vital part of church life, particularly at times of challenge. It's really important that we're, we're for each other. We're not just coming to church with some kind of superficial face on, but actually we're honest and we're real about the tough things that are going on in our lives, and we're looking for God to help. Um, so we're going to look in the Bible in just a moment. Um, we, I want to say just up front too, this is a, a series that we felt, felt as elders, God highlighted again for us to speak. We're in a, a, a very transient city, a city with a high population turnover, and it matters that we keep building uh, into this key foundation of church life, as, as Sanjay was saying a minute ago. Let me start with, let's see if this works, let me start with a um, clicker, there we are, there we are. This is, let me start with a story from our back. We're, we're part of what people call the Protestant church. Um, so this is, a, you know, a long time ago, this is part of our part of the church family. This is a, it's called the Diet of Augsburg. It's like a church conference, count church council, synod maybe to use modern language. And at this council... Uh, they decided that this was a good definition of church. They said, the church is the congregation of God's people in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments are rightly administered. That's a definition of church that is partly in our foundation as a Protestant church. And uh, a good friend of ours, a guy called Chris, who knows Chris Kandaya? He's an author, theologian, and a social justice activist, a great guy, um, said of this, this quote, he said, this definition was formulated during the Protestant Reformation. Uh, it bravely challenged the heresy of its day, but it was also reactionary and reductionist. 
reactionary and reductionist. It portrayed the church as an event where people gathered to hear the gospel and receive sacraments. I agree with Chris. I think this is a poor definition of church. And we'll look in the Bible as a moment, because the Bible is our source for all things of life and godliness. Add to this kind of Reformation heritage our modern consumer society, where we go to things with a kind of consumer mindset. We go to events. We're consumers. And the idea of church as an event becomes even harder to escape. And in our broken society, where family is a bit complicated for many of us, the idea of church as family is also a complicated idea we need to just understand. So what does the Bible say? That's the most important question. Let's let the Bible shape our thinking, not just our history, culture, or society. So let's just look at a few things the Bible says. I'm going to do... I've got six or seven minutes before Ruth's due on, so I've, I'm going to whiz through four points that summarize some of the biblical teaching. These, any one of these points could be a sermon in itself, so you'll have to excuse me. And there's various references up, up here which you can dig into further. if that's one to, There are four things the Bible says about church. Firstly, we get to be family. You've heard the heart of some of that this morning and things that have been said. God wants his church to be a community, a people, a family, not an organization or a service or an event to attend or even a place to attend. In the Bible, the word church is about people. It's not a place, an event, or a service. But family, as we've said, is a complicated word these days for, for many of us. What kind of family do we mean? What does kind of family does the Bible mean when it uses the word, the kind of ideas of family around church? Firstly, family that is loving and challenging. We find this in Ephesians 4. There's a sense that family is absolutely a place of love and compassion and grace and acceptance, but it's also a place of challenge. We might want to call that care and nurture. Both of those things matter, that we're a caring community and a nurturing community. The Bible also talks, um, this is a story of the disciples coming to Jesus and being sent. Jesus says, come and be with me, and I want to send you out. There's this dual sense in the church of being a place of belonging, a place of being received and a fellowship, but also a place of being sent out, an adventurous faith. Uh, I long for that to be the truth in church life. It's a church family, thirdly, is a place embracing of difference and yet one in God's ways. Uh, this is a quote from Galatians 3, a well-known quote that says, there is, in the church there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There's a wholly distinct thing God's calling us to. We're not just accepting of difference, but we are also seeking God to be one in him. And for some of us, this idea of church as family needs a bit of a mindset change. We might have come from church traditions where church is, is much more of an event you go to once a week, or a church is much more of a place where sort of, you know, the God's, God's anointed leaders dispense the sacraments or something. And that's part of church life, but it's, church life is so, so much more. Church is a people, a people together. So first thing I wanted to say is church, we get to be family. There's some verses there. Go dig in more if you want to. Secondly, we each get to play our part. And I'm going to read two chunks of scripture that are really important. Steve used one of these a couple of weeks ago as part of our call to worship as we started. So here we go. 1 Peter 2. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built together as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but you have now received mercy. Church, we are living stones being built together to be a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. God wants us to be connected to each of us to play our part. We're not, as Steve said, I think a couple of weeks ago in worship, we're all priests this morning. We all get to be play our part in God's family, and that is absolutely the teaching of the New Testament. Another example, 1 Corinthians 12, another well-known passage. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not make it any less a part of the body. And the passage goes on at some length, sort of unpacking different parts of the body and how they relate, and none of them is less significant. We're all part of this body. This is a vision of church that we hold, a church where we're a people. We all get to be priests. We all get to play our part, and we all get to be body parts, playing a distinct function in the body. Uh, we call this body ministry sometimes for that reason. Think about natural family gatherings. I don't know who has a, a Christmas, maybe, or some other feast time. Have a, who gets together with a big extended family kind of group? Yeah, many of us do. Um, it's a bit of a love-hate thing sometimes, isn't it? You get together with all kinds of random people you don't normally see very much, and there's a few challenges. But, but it is great to be together with family. But when we get together, we all get to wash up. Yeah? We all get to wash up. It's not that we go to some kind of hotel and, and you know, the host waits on, waits on us. We all get to be part of it. We all get to help out. We all get to play with the children. We all get to clear up afterwards. That's, that's family, and that's the sort of family. We all get to wash up in God's family too. Uh, and I want to encourage you, as you come week by week, see yourself with that mindset. You know, we're all here. If someone new comes in, we all get to welcome them. If, if someone spills something, we all get to mop up. If someone... Is, needs prayer, we all get to pray. That's the kind of church we long for. We all get to play our part. Thirdly, uh, we all get to do one another good. Uh, the New Testament has at least 40 passages, some people count 100, where this phrase, one another, comes up. So there's 100 one another's in the New Testament. And love one another. These circles kind of represent the number of number of occurrences. So about a third of the one another's are broadly to do with loving one another, being a loving community. About a third of them are to do with unity, being together, being united. And there's a, you know, there's a couple of other themes there. The one I think perhaps sums it up well is encourage one another and build one another up. That's, we all get to play, this is probably just an aspect of we, get, we all get to play our part, but we get to play our part through being one another. How does that work? Uh, I've got three suggestions. Uh, firstly, pray for one another. We can all pray. However much energy we have or time we have, we can all pray for each other. The people you know in church, pray for them. Ask God to give you the right prayers to pray. Ask God to give you encouragements for them. Uh, secondly, connect with people. Communities, Sanjay's just been talking about, a brilliant place to connect. Connect with people. Uh, don't turn up on a Sunday morning either and just sort of in your little zone and sit in your chair, but connect with people. Join the family that God has given us. And thirdly, look to serve people. Uh, and as my experience, Ruth's experience, which she would tell you many stories, is as we pray, God 
God highlights the ways we can serve people. It's not complicated. It's simply about listening to the Father's voice. So pray, connect with people, serve people. And the last thing that the Bible says about church is we get to be a team with purpose. I'm not going to say much on this because Sanjay is going to cover this off next week. Uh, God wants a family that is a place of function and fruitfulness, not just a place of belonging and care. Belonging and care is really important, but that, that, that through belonging and care, we get to be God's people, his body on earth, his ambassadors on earth. That's what the Bible teaches. We call that team, Jesus team, Jesus family team. Um, and Sanjay will say more about that next week, so I'm not going to say much more now. So now, some of you are saying, of these four things, about some of you are saying, yes, of course, I believe all that stuff, let me at it. That's what I want to do. I want to invest in church like that. Good on you. Um, some of you are saying, really? Does the Bible say that? No, no, you're twisting things. You don't, you don't, you don't understand. And if that's, one, if that's you, I want to encourage you to go deeper, to dig into the scriptures. Talk to me afterwards. I can give you some pointers. I was going to list a whole lot of references, but haven't for the sake of time. God, uh, just go deeper into the scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to show you. And some of you, I think many of us, are probably going, yeah, but does it really work? Does it work in our city? Does it work in my life? I understand the vision, but, but no, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. And we're gonna, Ruth and I, as we prepared, felt God highlighted five uh, things, five uh, barriers, five uh, things that we need to see God help us overcome. And you know, we've had a prophetic word earlier. Um, I forget who it was now. Someone said, run to him even, if he, even as he runs to you. There's a sense of we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. God is running to us. God, is, God wants to help us. Um, God wants to build his church, but he needs our cooperation. And so as, 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 as he weaves that quilt together that John was prophesying to us, let's be a cooperative people as we look at these five areas. So these are five specific areas that I believe the Holy Spirit has highlighted for us. And uh, I'm just going to hand over to Ruth at this point to talk about number one. Am I now on? I'm now on. Okay, I clicked it and then I clicked it again. Okay, yes, Andy said I'm Ruth. And uh, I get to do the first one, which is busyness. So this is something that we can often, probably most of us say, yeah, that hinders. That's a hindrance to actually building community with one another. I feel God slightly swiped me this morning in the worship. And uh, I just want us to take a moment to find that place again. In, that we found in the worship of God's love for us, of that place that is for us, that he has prepared for us in his presence. Steve, um, one of Steve's illustrations last week um, was of a swirly-whirly thing that uh, never ends, and there was a love in the middle, a love heart. And that for me, symbolise that God has created us a space in communion with him. And I want to suggest to you that that is the key to busyness. Well, the antidote to, 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 to busyness is that place with him. Is having that place sorted 
<laughs> as Andy said, we'd both just come back off sabbatical. Thank you. Um, and I think in, the, um, in that space that that, avail- that gave us, the, the ability to put down everything, it gave God the ability and the space to actually show us what's the most important thing, which, of course, we all know is him. But actually, when we look at our lives, and when I looked at my life, I thought, was it? Is it really the most important thing? And uh, I've been looking at the verse in Matthew 22 when Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment, Lord? And he says, well, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Now, we all know that verse. We could probably all say it really quickly. And, uh, but actually, I've, I've, I've been challenged to kind of take it off the page and make it into something more 3D through, um, through our sabbatical. And I think that it's, it's something really, really practical often in most of our lives that uh, to make the Lord number one, a lot of the time, is practical. And so we've take, I've taken on some... Um, I've taken on some, we've done various things around the home to help, to help me. Because um, I don't know about you, some mornings when I was having my devotional time sitting in bed, my Bible was on the other side of the room and oh, it was just a little bit too far away. And, and really, Ruth? Really? Really? How much do you really want the presence of God when you can't be bothered to get out of bed and lay your finger on the Bible? So I've now got a prayer chair and I now get out of bed. I never really came out of my bedroom previously because I'd learned that that would just swipe anything. But now I have a prayer chair. My mobile phone is charged downstairs. Um, so don't try and get a hold of me in the morning because I won't be there. <laughs> um, and I, that's, that's, I've done those practical things because I saw that actually I wasn't actually going to be able to be useful to God unless I'd got that communion with him yeah. sorted. So if you're sitting there thinking, I can't build community because I'm too busy, then stop, take a breath. And as Pete Gregg says in his book about prayer, show up, what is it? Show up, shut up, and look up. And I don't know about you, but I was finding it really difficult to even have a quiet time running up to um, our sabbatical because the clamor of life was so loud in my, in my head some mornings that it took all my effort to just read something before I'd be like, yeah, but what about this, Lord? And what about that? And what about so-and-so? And so-and-so's hurting and this needs dealing with the Lord. And please, will you do this and this and this and this and this and this and this? And God must have been just like, whoa, just quieten it, girl. And uh, so that's what he's done with it on the sabbatical with me. It's just like, quieten it. And I've had time to learn to be silent. I'm learning to go to the source before I come with my lists. And it's hard work. It's hard work. I'm having to learn. I don't know how to do it. And I have to learn. I have to pay attention. Georgie said to me this week about something else. When you don't know how to do something, you have to be taught. And taught, being taught is a process. And I thought, yeah, we have to sit down. And when we're at school, we have to sit down and listen, don't we? And we have to study and we have to think about it and process it. It requires our effort. And uh, I read quite a lot of reading while we're on sabbatical about monks. And they really were determined to get hold of the presence of God. It's like one guy, Cuthbert, who used to go and pray in the Northumberland, near the sea off Northumberland, not warm, not the med, and he'd stand up to his waist and he'd pray. So he got the presence of God. I mean, that is resolved, isn't it, to lay hold of the presence of God. So that's, that's my, that was what I feel this morning, is that we need to pry, that is a prize for us. We've got to seek that. I've got to say no to some things. We've got to 
I'm going to push apart. This is flashing at me. Um, but there's a reason why. It's because after, when we've got that right, we can then love our neighbour as ourselves. Okay, so it's not a go away and hide. I know the monks did that, but they also had a rhythm of coming back out again and ministering. And that, I think that's God's, that is God's heart for us, that in knowing our home, in that communion with him, we can then go out and love the Lord our God with all our hearts and our soul and our mind and love our neighbours as ourselves, and know what he's actually um, asking us to do. I was going to use the story of Zacchaeus. But I've run out of time. <laughs> so I'm going to sit down so we won't be here till three. Very good. Okay, uh, so that was busyness. Business is an, a challenge for us in our culture, isn't it? And we need to grapple with it. We've highlighted the, the centrality of prayer. Let's do whatever you do. The point about the Zacchaeus story is out of the centrality of prayer... Jesus did the one thing. He walked through a crowd and spotted the one person that God wanted him to have an encounter with that day. So as we listen to God in the quiet place, he will show us his priorities for the day. And that helps us overcome frenetic busyness. Secondly, I want to talk about difference. Who likes fish? Who hates fish? Yeah, it's not quite 50-50, but there's quite a few of us that hate fish. Now, this fish story reminds me of a story that a friend of mine tells. I've got a good, we've got a good friend, a guy called Anderson Moyo, who leads a Zimbabwean, well, leads a church, a multicultural church in Sheffield. He's Zimbabwean. He said to me once, I had to learn to eat fish. He said, I hate fish. I had to learn to eat fish so that I could make friends with, from, from his particular tribe in Africa, they didn't eat fish, but other tribes did eat fish. And he knew that to make friends with these people, he had to learn to eat their food. So, and he, he just hates fish. But that's, so we all have these challenges. I've got another story about a friend of ours who was an American who was here some years ago. And she said to Ruth and I once, when I'm invited for tea, what does that mean? <laughs> does it mean come for a quick cup of tea and leave as soon as possible, please? Which is probably what the Brits mean by that. Or does it mean come for a short meal? Or does it mean come for the evening and stay till midnight? What, what does it mean? And these are just two little stories that help us see the challenges of getting to know people from different cultures. The simplest thing, like come for a cup of tea, can be quite an impediment. We're, we're too embarrassed to ask sometimes, so we, we just make excuses and don't show up or something. But I want to encourage us, whether it's culture, cultural difference, ethnic difference, secondly, whether it's age difference. In the church here, we have children, youth, students, young adults, older adults, middle-aged, elderly. We've got the whole spectrum very different life stages. Some of us are working, some of us are not working, some of us had worked and would wish we had a job. Some of us are married, not married, wish we were married, wish we weren't married. Some of us have kids, haven't had kids, can't have kids, kids have left home. I don't know. We're all at very different stages of life. And those little things, those differences can become an impediment. We, we, go, we say to ourselves, well, I'm not like them. How am, I supposed to, how am I supposed to get on with them? Because they're different from me in various ways. And the Bible basically says... Get over it and get on with each other. That's my sort of message, modern translation. Get over it and get on with each other. That's essentially what the Bible says, as far as I can see. I want to read one little story to you. There's a story in Acts 6. Um, I don't think I've got this. No, there's a story in Acts 6 that, where the church was just forming. And the, the, uh, get, let me just read it to you. Now, in those days, the disciples were increasing in number. There was a complaint by the, the Greek uh, community against the Hebrew, the Jewish community, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So the early community had an, a practice of giving food to widows, but the, the, the Jewish 
Christians and the Greek background Christians were grumpy with each other because food, here we are, food again. Food was not being distributed properly. The, the 12, the disciples, the apostles said, we need to fix this thing. It matters that we get on. They didn't just say, oh, whatever. It doesn't really matter if you guys are neglected. We'll just have two churches then. They said, no, no, it matters that we fix this thing, that we fix this issue of food, this inequity in distribution. And they sorted it out. There's a particular story there. They sorted it out. Um, this is easier said than done, of course. But I just want to encourage us. If there are people, if there's people in our, in our community group or people in church that uh, we'd like to get to know, but we've allowed difference to get in the way, I'd, I'd encourage us to get over it and get on with it because that really matters to God. There are lots and lots of passages in the New Testament where the apostles are writing to churches where there's a bit of division or a bit of difference. And it's a big deal. It matters. We've commented a couple of times already that God wants his church to be Jew and Greek and old and young and slave and free and all those things. It matters that we, we represent unity in a broken world. That's a big part of our mission, church. So let's, let's get our heads around difference and overcome our dislike of fish, if that's the thing for us. Um, perhaps Marmite would have been a better illustration. But, um, second, third thing I want, I want to say, um, I, I'm probably going to be speaking to about half the church in this point, but I want to sp- ask, speak to half the church um, for a couple of minutes. Who looks at this picture and goes, yes, I just want to be there on my own on a beach somewhere? Who looks at it and goes, where are all the people? Yeah, yeah, there we are. Right. You know what I'm getting at, introverts and extroverts, and our personality. Um, we could, those of us that are introverts, I'm an introvert. Those of us that are introverts can allow our being introverted to get in the way of community. We can hide behind it. And we, we're not going to find the language of introvert, extrovert in the Bible. It's modern language. But we see stories there. I want to just highlight one story. Look. The story of Moses, I'm just going to pick a few little bits out of the story of Moses, so don't, don't try and keep up. There's too many different passages. But I think Moses was an introvert, probably. He liked solitude. He went up the mountain um, away from people. He felt himself to be not eloquent, slow of speech and of tongue. God had to give him his brother, Aaron, as a sort of colleague and spokesman. I think Aaron was probably an impulsive introvert from one or two, sorry, impulsive extrovert from one or two stories we see later on. Moses lacked conference to face up to Pharaoh. He became overburdened with people's problems. Um, and, but he spent regular time alone with God in prayer. One, uh, there's a Jewish author who's written quite a lot about being introverted, a lady called Susan Cain. Some of you might have read her stuff or seen her on TED Talks or whatever. She says, Moses used all the strengths that are classically associated with introversion. Climbing a mountain in search of wisdom and writing down carefully on two stone tablets everything he learnt there. <laughs> um, uh, just a brief explanation for extroverts who may not understand introverts. We're, us introverts, it doesn't mean we're shy. We love people, actually. We just need, some, we need space to recuperate and to, to, to refill the tank. That's how we are. But I want to say, introverts, what can we learn from the story of Moses? Moses had to learn to overcome his introvert instincts in order to be obedient to the call of God. Moses didn't just say, oh God, I can't do that. No, no, to find someone else. But he sort of did, but God persuaded him otherwise. Um, But he engaged with God over his fears and concerns, is the point I'm trying to make. He learned to work with others, his brother and others, um, to accomplish what God wanted. 
He, Moses was called to lead a very large community. This people in the desert was like a million, a couple of million people. It was a huge community. And Moses had to learn to find sustaining habits of retreat and prayer that sustained his life and ministry. Moses understood the grace of God and that in the quiet place, in the tent of meeting, the tent of prayer, he would find what he needed to lead the people of God. And I just want to encourage us, those of us that are extra introverts, don't hide behind it. Let's be part of community. Let's find a way that works for us to be part, to be community builders. Don't just hide, but play your part. We've got, God designed us a certain way. God needs introverts and extroverts in his family to, to be all that he wants us to be. So that's personality. Uh, Ruth. Again, here I am. Right. Okay, so our next one is... I'll explain the bananas, don't worry, Um, is annoyances. Yes, when we have to build community, it does mean building with one another, with other people. And other people can be really annoying, can't they? (laughs) And uh, we have to really learn how to deal with that. Um, But it's important to God that we live in a loving community. Andy and I often refer to this book called Building with Bananas. We We chose the title Building with Bananas after listening to a bricklayer on a local building site. He was standing next to a pile of badly made bricks. Looking at the curved ends, he muttered, how can anyone expect me to build with these? They're just like bananas. In spite of those odd-shaped bricks, he was able to use his skill and build a fine wall. The bricks reminded us of what Christians are like, imperfect and very different from one another. Yet God wants us to fit together in a loving community. Why deal with petty squabbles and irritations which occur in our church relationships? Well, we all know what starts out as a few cross words or even a critical tone of voice between two people is a potential rift in the church if it is not sorted out early on. So we're a merry band of bananas. We're trying to be built together into this holy priesthood. And uh, the thing with bananas is they bruise easily, don't they? And we can't avoid that. We can't just go and say, no, I'm going to go and sit in this fruit bowl over here and not be near any other bananas, because that's not God's heart. He wants us to be built together, so we will bruise each other, so we need to know how to deal with it. So the verse that we were looking at is in Matthew 18, where Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And then the passage does go on for a whole... It escalates from there, but we're just going to focus in on this. Um, We're going to zoom in on that certain aspect of dealing with offences. So how many of us are good at plucking up the courage to go face-to-face with someone when they've upset us? Come on, give me a show of hands. Who's really good at that? Yeah, it's not easy, is it? (laughs) It's not easy. It does take courage um, and and a level of relationship with that person to actually even start the conversation that they've upset you or you know you've upset them or we're just not working very well together here, are we? Um, and, but it is Jesus' recommended way of doing it face to face. And as we were talking about this, Andy and I, we, we just thought we'd address social media culture. And uh, I just, not that I'm a total expert, honestly. Um, but, <laughs> but I think there is a danger that we can dumb this down and make this easy for ourselves. 
It's easier, and I have to say I've even counseled some people to do it. Write it down, write your offence down, write what you want to say down, and so that you can get all that you want to say out and it doesn't come out higgledy-piggledy. But you do that on a message, maybe, and bing, done. Well, that didn't hurt very much, did it? Yeah, but job done. I told you I'm sorry or told you that you offended me. But no, I don't think that's what Jesus wants us to do. I think he wants us to get face to face because a message has no tone of voice. A message has no smile attached to it. Well, it could have an emoji, obviously. Um, but <laughs> and it, it doesn't have a tear. It doesn't, have, it doesn't show the pain or the courage that you've taken to come and go face to face with your brother or sister. And that's what Jesus is after. He's after make, we need to make relationships important enough that it costs us when we go and talk to one another. Um, and <laughs> I think that is a very real temptation to hide behind the fact that we've, we've done it. We've sent a little message, ping. Um, it also says, go in, go, go in private. Because the goal is that we gain our brother back, that we win our brother um, the Amplified Version says, if your brother sins, go and show him, show him his fault in private. If he listens and pays attention to you, you have won back your brother. That's important to God, that we operate in a way that we have won one another back. Not that we have something between us, an elephant in the room that we don't talk about because neither of us have got the courage. He wants us to take that courage. Um, and private, that's the other thing with um, WhatsApps and social media. We're irritated with someone, so we're just, yeah, splash it out there on Facebook or write a few capitals on WhatsApp group and get that sort of irritation out. But, <laughs> and in, maybe if you didn't really own up to it, but it might be that you think that person that annoyed me will read that and then they'll know they've annoyed me and then job done. Um, that's, that's not what we need to do. We need to go in private to that person and deal with the offence, deal with the misunderstanding, deal with the potential rupture in our relationship. Um, I'm no good at this. I, I, just, I quake, I shake, I cry, I do all of those things. It takes me about a week for my emotions to settle back down again before I can then sort of like, okay, we've done it, it's fine. But it, cause it's costly. It is costly. It costs sleep. It costs emotion. Um, but it's worth it. It's what God really wants to do. And... Uh, and I just think we need to be harsh with ourselves. We've got to be, we have to clean, clean records with one another and not, not push, sweep it aside, hoping it will go away. I'm just going to make you laugh, even though I've overrun. But uh, Andy and I have tried to practice this in our married life. Don't, you know, have to deal with it quick. If you've hurt me, if you've upset me, or if you're wrong, I have to tell you quick. Um, you missed that. You didn't laugh at that. <laughs> Um, and uh, so we always have to tell each other the truth. And um, we recently got two new cars, new to us. And uh, I went out. <laughs> no, uh, I went out with all the kids in the big seven-seater. And this new seven-seater has parking sensors. I don't like them. It makes such an annoying noise. So we were in the Westgate car park, and I turned them off because it's just beep, beep 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 everywhere. And I was just like, I can't cope. So I turned them off. And then later in the evening, we came back home, and um, I was reversing back down the hill towards our other car to park the car. And, uh, and the kids are going, Mum, Mum, you really ought to stop. Mum, Mum. And I'm like, God, parking sensors, guys. It's going to tell me when to stop. Clunk. And I just went, oh, no, what have I done? The kids are like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Oh, Mum, 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 you've done just both cars. <laughs> and they were like, right, okay, what happens in the car? 
it stays in the car if you want, all right? Well, I'm in the car, it stays in the car. And I was like, yeah, okay, okay. And Andy had had a really nice quiet evening in on the sofa on his own. And so I walked in, sat on the sofa, and I, it took me about a minute before I was like, no, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I don't do the car. He <laughs> was really gracious and pleasant with me. It was only a little scratch. But I've also promised that I'll never turn the sensors off, ever, ever, ever again. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that keeps us clean and we relate really well because I don't sit on things. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> we, we call that braille parking in our house. But um, um, Okay, last point I um, uh, wanted to make. So is to do with change. Um, this is a picture of London, a busy city. Um, who's been here less than one year? Wave a hand. Here in Oxford. Here in Oxford, in OCC. Who's been in OCC less than one year? Okay, that's a chunk of you. Who's been here less... Keep your hands up. Who's been here less than two years? Okay, it's probably just under about half of you. Maybe... Who's been here under three years? Okay, quite a lot of you. We're a fast turnover city, aren't we? That little very simple share of hands showed the turnover we have in the city. Um, There's a a statistic somewhere that Oxford is a transient city. There's lots of change. 25% of the city change every year. That's a challenge for us, um, particularly those of us that are introverts who find making relationships quite costly. And we end up saying, people change so much, can I be bothered? You know, can I be bothered to build relationships with people? Um, and I want to say, yes, we must be bothered. But let me just talk to you about why we must be bothered. Um, this is a picture of a library in ancient Ephesus. What does this remind you of? Remind you of another city? Huh? It's a bit like Oxford, isn't it? This could be in Oxford. Um, you know, give it another couple of thousand years and Oxford's a bit decrepit. This could be, this could be Oxford. Uh, um, the point about Ephesus, let me just read from... Uh, Acts 19, Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, that is those who were willing to learn, and reasoned daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Ephesus was a city like Oxford. It was a busy, transient city. It was a city of education and commerce. People came and went. Paul could have said, oh, it's too much like our work building a church here because everyone keeps moving. But rather, Paul saw the opportunity there rather than the threat. Paul saw an opportunity to impact a whole region for the gospel because of being based in that significant city. And I want to say we have exactly the same opportunity here, church. So people do keep moving. It is hard work building relationships with people that keep moving. But Church, we must do that. We must see our nation um, impacted by the kingdom of God. We must see the nations. Oxford has about one-third of the people in Oxford were not born in the UK. We must see what this challenge is an opportunity to impact the nations of the world for Christ through the mobility that we see here in Oxford. And I want to encourage us, if you're here for a short time, don't say, I'm just here for a short time, I'm not going to bother investing in community. You absolutely must invest in community because God wants to do something in you that you will take with you when you move on. And for those of us, those of us that are, are more stable here and here for the long term, we must absolutely invest in people that are here for a short term because it's, it's our privilege, it's our call, I believe, in God. 
So six things that stop us from jumping into all that God wants to do in community. Firstly, we see church the wrong way. We see it and as I read this list out again, I just want us to just be listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's probably got one thing he wants to just nudge in each of us. Perhaps we see church the wrong way. Perhaps we're too busy and not listening to the Lord. Perhaps we've let differences come in, in the way of building with people who aren't quite like us. Perhaps our personality um, has become a, a, a barrier for us. Perhaps... We're not very good at dealing with annoyances. And actually, maybe even this morning, God's highlighted someone we need to go and put things right with. Let's do that courageously, as Ruth said. And perhaps we've got a bit weary with investing in this busy, changing city. Uh, But let's see that as an opportunity that God has given us, rather than a problem.